0: Listen to this. I was just thinking about the last three years and uh, did some quick numbers. Over the last three years at Ignite downtown, we've had 88 people give their lives to Christ. Is that not incredible? We've seen 18 people get baptized. We've seen two churches started, one in here, one in the Sunnyland. We've served hundreds of people uh, living in poverty and or in need in our region. Dozens of leaders have been apprenticed. It's been a good run, and the best is yet to come. Is that not a praise for God? All right. Thank you for being a part. Well, today we are launching a new series called The Comeback. It's never too late, and you're never too far. This series is all about hope. It's about second chances. It's about turnarounds and God's ability to take even the worst part of our lives and bring something good out of it, bring bring about a total comeback. Comebacks, we all need them, right? And we all, I think, love comeback stories. Do you love a good comeback story? I love comeback stories. I love, for instance, I I have a few that I like. (laughs) I love, for instance, uh, the story about Kurt Warner. Any any of you remember Kurt Warner? Um, uh, He went undrafted. He's a football player, went undrafted in 1994. In fact, started working at a grocery store because that's the only job he could get. A high V in Cedar Falls, Iowa, happens to be where my wife is from. Her parents can still remember him working at the store. Pretty crazy. But Kurt Warner ended up going from uh, stock boy at the grocery store to uh, to Super Bowl winning MVP within a few short years. He won the Super Bowl twice. Led his team to gr- when he retired. One of the best uh, football players, right? Uh, clutch football players of all time. He's a great player. I love those kind of stories, right? Like I'm here. He is stocking shelves at the grocery store one year, and the next year he's you know maybe a couple years later whatever it was at the Super Bowl. Amazing kind of comeback story. Uh, another one. This this one's classic, right? There's billboards, there's all kinds of cool stories, and, and I think we've all probably heard him about Lincoln, considered to be one of the best uh, and, and greatest American uh, presidents of all time. He led the country through really probably its toughest era, um, greatest moral and military crisis, eventually saved the country from imploding and from destruction, and uh, moved it in the direction of restoration. Lincoln, as you know, probably grew up very meager circumstances. Failure plagued his life again and again and again, right? He, he uh, failed at business, tried to start a business that failed twice. He uh, ran for Congress and lost. He ran for Senate twice and lost. He ran for vice president and lost, right? Lose, 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 lose. And yet, he ended up becoming the 16th president of the U.S. and considered, like I said, by many to be one of the greatest, led the country to reconciliation, won re-election another time. His leadership, his political skills, and his outstanding speeches were all contributors to his, his amazing comeback, but amazing story. This one, I don't know, you might have seen a, a movie about her a couple of years ago. Bethany Hamilton was 13 years old when her left arm got bit off by, by a shark while she was surfing. Uh, after only a month of uh, recuperation and medical procedures, she returned to the sport, learning how to surf with one arm and a customized board, she, and she hasn't stopped since. In fact, she became a professional surfer. Is that not a crazy, amazing comeback story? Crazy, cool. We love comeback stories, don't we? That's why we like movies like Rudy or Rocky, or there's a Will Smith one a few years ago called The Pursuit of Happiness, based on a true story, uh, a guy that eventually becomes a broker on Wall Street that was homeless when he started. Uh, an amazing sort of comeback story. It's what keeps us rooting for teams like the Bears and the Cubs, right? Thinking, thinking, maybe this will be the year, right? Maybe this will, maybe this time, finally, we can. It'll turn around and it, it, we're going to win it all. It It could happen. It's what keeps their fans rooting and holding on to hope for decades, sometimes centuries, but I digress, Um, (laughs) right? We love comeback stories, and I think partially we like them because I think all of us, if we're honest, and there's moments when we're like, you know what, there's parts of my life and there's parts of your life that we would love to see a comeback take place. We would love to see God do something extraordinary, or we'd like to see him bust in and heal or restore or bring about change or transformation or something else. Well, not only do we love stories like this in real life, but I have to say God's book is peppered with stories like this. Comeback stories, phenomenal, sometimes jaw-dropping kinds of comeback stories. Uh, let me just throw out a hodgepodge of them. Ways that God comes, busts in, and brings about extraordinary transformation. He, he, he tends to specialize in this kind of stuff. God, for instance, uses a shepherd boy uh, to kill a giant that everybody else is afraid to. He uses a former murderer like Moses and turns his life around and uses him to set his people free. He used a former adulterer like David to become one of the greatest kings in history and to become a man that God refers to him as a man after God's own heart. He turns around the life of a major coward named Joshua and uses him to lead God's people into the promised land. He uses people like Joseph, right? Joseph, uh, who became a slave, who had been disowned by his family, sold into slavery, falsely accused, put into prison, and forgotten there. He turns around that story and uses Joseph to save his family, his people, and in a couple of countries, right? I mean, pretty amazing kind of story. You see, friends, God seems to specialize in turnaround stories. He turns around the lives of adulterers or murderers or prostitutes or thieves or weaklings or whatever. You name it, he can turn it around. He enters into situations where all hope seems lost and he does the impossible. He speaks or he changes hearts or he heals or he brings freedom. He brings about his good plans over and over and over again. He turns around lives. He heals marriages. He turns around business deals gone bad. He is able to restore friendships that have been decimated. God doesn't seem to be intimidated or inhibited at all by how small or weak or messy our lives are. Doesn't seem to matter to him one single bit. He's not limited by our weakness He's not intimidated by our mess, but is able to turn things around and work in us and work even through us in powerful ways. It doesn't matter how far from God you or I may have wandered, it's never too late, and you are never too far for the living God to bust in and turn things around, because he's the God of the comeback. He really is, and that's good news for people like you and people like me. Today in the time we've got left, I want to look at sort of one story that I think has some great stuff to teach us, the story of a guy by the name of Gideon, and I want us to learn some lessons on his lives about how to prepare for a comeback. <laughs> a little background as we uh, get going here, this, where this story begins is a time in Israel's history, God's people's history, that was sort of the low point of this nation. They were spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally, and economically bankrupt. Things were not going well for them. An enemy nation had come in called the Midianites, and they'd come in with an army of 135,000 soldiers. They'd forced all the people out of their homes. They put them on the run, and they kept them on the run for years, for years and years and years. They came in, they would steal everything that these people owned. They would, you know, torment them, chase them, hurt them, kill them, could wipe them out at a moment's notice. The people have been living in fear for years, and that's where we're going to pick up the story. Judges, chapter six, if if you've got your Bibles, why don't you bust them out, open them up to Judges six. If not, why don't you open up the Ignite Church app. If you don't have it yet, you can download it from the app store, but there's a a message notes section in there that has the scriptures in there. It's got a place for notes. It'll kind of, an outline that you can follow along with, all that kind of stuff. So uh, Judges chapter 6, starting with verse 1, says this. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountains, clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern people would invade their country. They camped out on the land and would ruin all their crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep or cattle or donkeys. They came up with their, uh, they came up with their livestock in their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Man, if ever there was a group of people that were in need of a comeback, it's the Israelites in this story. Do you kind of see what's happening? They have, t- at, at some point in their past, they have turned their backs on God. They have wandered and gone their own way. And so God has let them feel the consequences of their actions, and as a result, an army has come in, has taken over their country. Things are not going well. They've, they've kind of stepped away from God. They've gone on the rampage against him. They've turned their backs on him, and they've said, you know, God, you're cramping our style. We're going to go our own way, and as a result, the, the Midian army has driven them from their homes. They've driven them up into the mountains, where they're hiding and living in caves or cracks, any place that they can find to live and hide from these enemies. Their food is continually destroyed. They're afraid for their lives. They're starving. They are hiding. Their homes are gone. And there's this ruthless army out there that outnumbers them massively that's just waiting to wipe them off the earth. Seem like a, a need for a comeback to you? i tell you what, they have hit bottom, and they are desperately in need of a comeback. Now, I don't know if, if uh, you're probably like me. You may not identify that much with this story. You're like, well, you know, there's no huge army, like, forcing me out of my home. I'm not, I'm not running away. I'm not living in fear. I'm not living in a cave in a mountain or anything like that. Uh, and so maybe it's easy to say, well, maybe this doesn't apply to me. But let me just, just kind of push on that for a second if I can. Maybe you don't have an army opposing you, but maybe you need a comeback still. Maybe you're struggling to overcome an addiction or a habit of some kind. Maybe there's some sort of secret sin that nobody knows about but you, and you are struggling. And every time you feel like you're making a little headway, it feels like an enemy comes in and wipes it out, and you are left hopeless and decimated and in bondage, afraid of where this is all going. And maybe for you, maybe you are in need of a comeback. Maybe stuff at work is going horribly. Maybe you hate your job. Maybe you just lost your job. Or maybe you're afraid that you'll be next, the next one to get axed. Maybe your work environment just feels oppressive and toxic to you. Maybe you feel stretched to the max and you're not sure how you can keep going. Maybe you can't find, your, find a job and your money is running out. Maybe more than anything else in your life right now, maybe this whole area of a job is something, your work, maybe there's something there that you're like, man, I am in need of a comeback. I am in need. Something has got to change or it's over. Maybe you're going through a rough season at school and you're wondering if you can make it, if you can afford it, if you can finish it or whatever. And maybe more than anything else, you just need a comeback in that kind of area of your life. Maybe it's in your your marriage or your relationship world. It's in shambles, and you're not sure if that relationship—if it's even possible for it to survive. Maybe it's already been wrecked, and there's so much damage that you've just sort of lost hope. And more than anything else, if—if if you even dare to verbalize it, you would say, "Man, I need to turn around in my marriage. I need to turn around in my relationship, because otherwise, it will not survive." Or who knows? Maybe there's been some sort of tragedy or significant loss in your life, and you are grieving. And hope is hard to come by these days. And maybe you just feel like hiding in the caves in fear and without hope. And you're not even sure if you have the strength to go on. And maybe today you need to come back just to survive, just to make it through the day, just to get air in your lungs and raise the hope level just enough to get you through the day. Whatever your story if you find yourself desperately in need of hope or freedom, desperately hoping and longing for a second chance, then you are in the right place. The story has tons of great stuff to say to you and to me today because our God is a God of comebacks. Let's go to verse 6. This is sort of the, the pivotal verse here in Judges chapter 6. So things are going terribly for the people of God. It says this Midian had so impoverished the Israelites that finally they cried out to the Lord for help. It says the people were impoverished. I love that word. They were poor. They recognized their own need. And they were like, man, God, we, you have got to come and save us. You have got to come and rescue us. I can't go on like this. And even though we hate to feel that way, how many people really like to be in that kind of place? Nobody, right? Right? We hate to feel that way. Actually, This is the turning point in the story. This is the first great moment there is where the people, they have been impoverished for the last seven years, but they've done nothing. And finally, the pressure gets so high and the hope gets so low that finally they see their own need and for the first time, they turn back to God and they cry out. And, And what we're gonna do is we're just going to to, to kind of look at, at some of the lessons here of what to do when we are in need of a turnaround. How can we sort of set our lives up to turn around and to, to, to experience a comeback? And this is the first one. We're just gonna kind of walk through a few of these. But the first one is this. When we see our need and we, we return to the Lord, right? That's the first step. Why is it that the people of Israel and most of us, why is it that we wait so very long to turn back to God? to actually cry out to God and ask for help? Why do, we only, why do we wait until all hell is breaking loose before we return to him, before we pray to the only one that can really bring about freedom and lasting change and fullness in our lives? And I'm guilty of this too. But I want you to look with me for just these next few verses, uh, Judges 6, 7 through 11. I want you to pay particular attention to the verbs. (laughs) Okay, you're like, okay, high school English, right? What what is that? But just stick with me. Look look at the action words uh, as we go through here. Verse 7, so as soon as the people recognize their need and they call out to God, it says this, verse 7, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hands of all your oppressors. I drove out your enemies before you and gave you, you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Don't worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah uh, that belonged to Joash where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So things are not going well for Israel. They're in hiding, they're hungry, they are running scared from an opposing army. And finally, after years of running from God, running from their enemies, finally they cry out to the Lord for help. And almost immediately, God sends a prophet who reminds them, That he, our God, is a God who rescues. That our God is a God who sets prisoners free. That our God is a God who delivers, who drives out enemies. A God who speaks. And almost instantly, God dispatches an angel, a messenger, who, and sets in motion a, sort of a plan that will bring about a total comeback for the people of Israel. Do you kind of see that? As, as I'm reading it, as I'm studying this week, I'm like, man, you kind of get this idea that God has been sitting almost on the edge of his chair, per se, for seven years years while the people are struggling and experiencing pain and hopelessness he's been waiting and longing for them to finally hit bottom and turn to him and the moment they turn and cry out he springs into action right he sets in plan he sets things in in motion right he sets a motion plan in motion whatever however that is he sets a plan in motion that will eventually lead them toward freedom and I think man I wonder how often in our lives we continue to live in the mountains <laughs> how often it is that we continue to to live on the run with oppressive kind of forces on our shoulders and we feel hopeless and we feel weighty and we are scared and we don't know what to do and God is just longing almost screaming would you turn to me right would you, would you finally would would you lay that stuff down, would you turn to me and cry out for help? Because I am the God of comebacks. I am the God who saves. I am the God who rescues. I can do more than you can even imagine. Now, does that mean he's a genie in a bottle and will do whatever, whatever it is we want him to do? No. But he transforms people's lives every day he intervenes, he sets free, he brings healing, he brings his peace, he brings a sense of his presence, he strengthens and strongly supports. He's good. I just wonder, man, why do we wait so long when we are feeling and recognizing our own poverty? You know, the first thing is, if, if we're gonna experience a comeback in our life, you know the first thing we need to do is? Is turn back to God. Right? Return back to him. Drop to our knees and just cry out, God, I need you. Would you come and rescue? I need you. Would you come and intervene? Would you come and have your way? Verse 11 last one we read it says we find at the end of this uh, part that we just read it says we find Gideon initially down in the bottom of a wine press threshing grain Instead of uh, out in the open where the wind could kind of get the chaff, that's what threshing is, right? You take, your, you take your wheat or your whatever and you throw it up in the air, you let the wind to pass through, get all the chaff out of it. So what you'd have left is just your grain that you could grind and make it into bread or whatever. And that likely is what Gideon's doing. Now, usually you do this up in a high place or out on the plain, someplace where the wind could really get through. He is down submerged hiding, if you will, in a wine press. He's hoping that the big bad Midianites don't come in and see him. And so he's, he's doing this and he's hoping, man, don't, if they don't see me, maybe I'll be okay. But if they see me, they will certainly take my grain and they might, they might take my life. So he's living in fear. He's doing this kind of thing. He's feeling helpless and hopeless. He's driven to despair. And God sends an angel of the Lord who comes to Gideon. And he says this in verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. (laughs) Do you see the irony here? He's hiding in a wine press, like he's, he's down hiding. Please don't let him see me. Please don't let him see me. The angel appears and God speaks to the angel and says, greetings, right? The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now anything could be further from the truth at that moment, right? He's afraid of his own shadow. He is anything but a mighty warrior. But this is significant, I think, as we talk about um, turnarounds, as we talk about comebacks. I mean, first thing that happens is we refocus, uh, or we uh, return to the Lord. The second thing is is God comes and he refocuses our hearts and our eyes a little bit, away from our circumstances, and more on God's presence who is with us. God refocuses Gideon's perspective here. God says to him, you are a mighty warrior, (laughs) Now, again, Gideon was anything but a mighty warrior in that moment. He was hiding. Anyone could see he was no courageous leader. I'm sure Gideon even would have said, you know, you kind of got that wrong. That's not really who I am. Don't you mean Gideon the coward? Don't you mean Gideon the sissy? Don't you mean Gideon the weakling? Are you mocking me, God? Like, what's going on here? Right? Any of those would be better choices. But God says, no, your perspective is all wrong. You see only your circumstances. You see only the problems. You see only who you are and what you can do on your own. So, but But I want to remind you of this truth. I am with you. And if the living God is with you, then that changes everything, doesn't it? that changes everything. You see what you can do, but I see what I can do, God says. And God says to Gideon, you need to refocus, to change your perspective away from what you can do and who you are on your own to to who I am and what I can do in you and through you. I mean, Jesus did this kind of thing, too, where he'd refocus people's perspectives. Like, he'd, he'd rename people sometimes, right? Like, he'd say to Peter, Peter, from now on, I'm, or Simon, I will say, Simon, from now on, I'm going to call you Peter and you're going to be like a rock. It means the rock. You're going to be like a rock in my church. You're going to be like the foundation, like a pillar. I'm going to use you to do incredible things. You're going to be a strong leader for the Lord. Now, Peter, like Simon up to this point has been anything but that, right? He's impulsive. He goes from place to place. He'd often put his foot in his mouth. He'd get himself in trouble. He would, I mean, holy cow, he was all over the place. But Jesus speaks, and that's, this is what God does. It says, man, I want to I talk about who I, I'm going to turn your life around. I'm going to fill you. I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to bring about transformation in your life like you can't imagine. I don't see who you are. I see who you can be with me, who I made you to be, who, who I'm transforming you to become. I can turn your life around and bring about a comeback. God looked at Gideon in the same way, and he says, you, think, you might think you're a weakling, but I'm going to make you into a mighty man of courage. I'm going to use you in powerful ways. I'm going to use you to lead my army and to set a nation of people free that I care about. Not because of your strength, but because of mine. I will be with you, Gideon. And I can turn this thing around. Verse 13, this is his response. I think this is great. Pardon me, my Lord, <laughs> Gideon replies, but if the Lord is with us, if you're with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our ancestors told, about, told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. He's saying God's not with us. If God, I know how this works, if God's with us, everything would turn out the way I wanted it to. Right? Everything would be happy, and everything would go my way. And that's not the experience of my life right now. That's not what I see around me. And so God must not—God must have abandoned us. He, he, he can't be with us. Verse fifteen. He goes on. Says, "Pardon me, my lord." Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest. And I am the least in my family. In the first place, Gideon says, you've got the wrong village, God. Gideon was born in Ophrah. Ophrah's a tiny little village. It literally means, in Hebrew, it means the place of dustiness. Does that sound like a place of great potential? Like where mighty leaders and mighty warriors are gonna be raised up? The place of dustiness, right? That does not sound good. He's like, it's, it's sort of like Nazareth, right? Can anything good come from Nazareth, Right? This, this is a place of, uh, you know, uh, where nothing big happens. It's just small town, it's Peoria, like it's small town Peoria or something. Come on, can God really do something cool here? Can God really provide a job in Peoria when the economy's sucking it up right now? Is that even possible? Can God, can God, God, can God really bring about a turnaround and a comeback in my marriage? I mean, if, if you knew my wife or you knew my husband, you wouldn't think they could. It's easy for us to think that kind of way. On top of that, he says, not only do you have the wrong village, but you've got the wrong family, right? We are the poorest of the poor. We, we did not have money to finance some sort of military campaign, God. We can't afford it. We don't have that. We're, there's Hundreds of thousands of opposing soldiers out there. How am I going to be able to take care of that? I can't do that. He said, on top of that, you've got the wrong guy. Even in my family, if you had to line up me and all my siblings, he'd say, I'm the runt, right? I'm, I'm the youngest. I am not up for the task. I am not up for the fight. There's no way. Surely, God, you can't use me. Where are Gideon's eyes? On himself, right? It's on. He's seeing his problems. He's seeing... The reality there he's seeing his own weakness and we do the same thing all the time we doubt God's goodness we doubt God's power because we get so focused on the problems instead of on his presence and his power in us but God says on your own you may be ordinary you may be weak you may be powerless or whatever but I want to refocus those eyes and I want to remind you that I am with you and I'm going to use you in powerful ways to save your people I think sometimes we tend to get stay stuck in discouragement and depression. We tend to live our lives in a way that seems defeated because of instead of lifting our eyes and entrusting ourselves to the God who saves, to the God who heals and rescues and restores, we keep our eyes fixed squarely on our problems. And sometimes I think breakthroughs begin when I refocus on the God who is with me it's not about what you can do, but it's about what God can do and will do. Let's go back to verse 14. I skipped over it on purpose. It will come back. It says this. It so said, the Lord then turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? God's response to Gideon's insecurity and to ours, too, really is in two statements. He says, I'm sending you, I the living God, I, the God who rescued your ancestors from Israel, who parted the Red Sea, who walking through, I'm the God who, right, who spoke everything into existence. I, the Lord your God, am sending you. I'm sending you in my power and in my authority. And number two, I will be with you. I'm with you. I'm sending you. Tell me again why, you, why, why I can't orchestrate a turnaround. Turn around why there can't be a comeback in your life. Friends, when God wants to change you from a coward into a champion, when he wants to bring about a change or a transformation, he starts by bringing you back home, returning to him, and then he refocuses you beyond your circumstances and reminds you that you are not alone. The God, the living God is in you and with you and that through him all things are possible. The third thing is this, the third step is I put like uh, refine you and, and uh, bring about repentance in you. This is what he does with Gideon, right? This one has to do with sort of an allegiance of who is it that you're gonna follow, who's in charge. I mean, sometimes we find ourselves in deep weeds and in pain because of somebody else's sin and junk, right? They've sinned on us and uh, it's painful and it hurts and in those days, God refocuses us and reminds us that he is with us. But oftentimes, I think, like the people of Israel, we find ourselves in bad situations because of our own sin, because of our own junk, because of our own rebellion. And in those times, God tells us to repent. Repent is like a churchy word that means to do a 180, right? We're heading in this direction to turn around and return to God, right? To do a 180 and head back to Him. Turn away from the sin and back to God. God sort of forces the deal in our story by telling Gideon to tear down the idols. Verse 25 says this, says that same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, uh, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord, your God uh, on the top of uh, this height, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did exactly what the the Lord told him to do. But because he was afraid of his family and uh, the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning when the people of the town gathered or, or got up, uh, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it cut down with a second bull sacrificed on a newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? And when they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, the son of Joash, did it and they were kind of mad. <laughs> that's, my, uh, that's my summary. Before God brings about a comeback in a significant way in your life, often he will refine you and bring you to a point of repentance. He'll want to make sure that he's got the number one spot in your life. He will clean house. The people have been looking to other gods, other things, looking for hope and salvation and encouragement. They've been looking to false gods. And while probably uh, you aren't bowing down to those kind of idols like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, there are ways in our lives, there are things in our lives that we tend to go to looking for approval, looking for significance, looking for joy, looking for happiness. And in, a, in the biblical definition of things, those are idols in our lives. And oftentimes, those are the very things that have driven us far from God. Oftentimes, those are the very things that have led us into the wilderness and led us into this place of pain where we see our own need. And God says, man, if you want to see transformation come to you, if you want to experience freedom, if you want to step into the new life that I have for you, it's going to require you to give up these idols, to quit seeking after the money or the pleasure or whatever, the the things that drove you to this place. It's going to require you turning away from them and turning back to God. Because only God can bring about the kind of transformation. Only God can bring about the kind of life, the kind of comeback that we long for and need. All the best comebacks in life come, right? When we, as we surrender this stuff and turn back to God and again open up our hearts and lives and cry out, I need you, Jesus. Would you come and lead me? Would you come and be my God? Would you come and rescue me from my junk? Would you come and forgive me for all that kind of stuff? Take the number one spot in my life. That is where turnarounds begin. And that leads to the fourth step I just called release. It's it's the place where we receive and we release and get to see, not that we release, but that's where God moves us to action, right? God brings about the transformation in our lives. Judges 6, verse 34, I'm just gonna summarize uh, it this way. It says, then, at that point, the spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. He blew a trumpet, summoning the Abirazites to follow him. He's released, so to speak. He's sent out, and God works in amazing ways. He turns things around. One of the most significant comebacks in history. God says, I'm going to help you. I'm going to put my power into your life. I'm gonna, you know, the, the promised Holy Spirit is now a reality for you. The secret of Gideon's life and his success and his turnaround has very little to do with him, and it has a whole lot to do with God working through him. The Spirit came on Gideon. Literally, it means, in Hebrew, it means, the Spirit clothed Gideon. <laughs> I like that. It's like saying, Gideon, I'm going I'm to wrap myself around you. I'm going to fill you in every possible way. God works in the world but he does it through people that are usable. God and Gideon, one plus God equals a majority. Now he finally is experiencing power. Now he has confidence, but not in himself, in the Lord. Now he has the strength to to be able to go out and and, uh, face the army. And the spirit empowered him. Gideon was transformed by God and God brought an amazing comeback. Probably not the way Gideon would have uh, liked for it to go. It wasn't Gideon's ideal plan like I'm going to go out and I'm going to slay everybody and it's all going to be good. I'm going to be the hero. That kind of thing. No, in fact God's plan was very different. You can read through Judges 6 and 7 for yourself. I'll give you the summary of it here. Right? This is how it worked. Uh, they had about 32,000 soldiers. Uh, the people of Israel did. There was 100 and what is it? 35, 100 and yeah, 35,000 in the opposing army. And and you kind of look at those odds and you think that's kind of overwhelming. 32,000 versus 135,000. That's bad odds, is it not? The army was huge. They were way outgunned. They were, they were outnumbered. There was no way. But, but just so that uh, nobody got the wrong idea, God says, okay, that's too many soldiers on your side. You can imagine Gideon saying, what? Right? Like, what, what do you mean? We're completely outgunned, God. What are you thinking? And God ends up whittling down the army to how many? Some of you know the story. How many? 300 300 Israelite soldiers, God's people, versus 135,000 over here. How many people like the odds? I should say this. 300 people over here with God versus 135,000 over here. Who, like, who likes those odds a little better? Yeah. And God says, okay, here's, here's the plan. I got this great plan. You're going to love it. Put the swords away. Put all your weapons away. You're not going to need them, right? I mean, at this point, you can imagine, I mean, like the soldiers are probably wetting themselves. <laughs> like, this is a bad plan. Like, what are you thinking? Like, this is not a good deal. And so. But but he says, okay, I'm going to, here's what you're going to need. You're going to need, everybody's going to need a torch, okay? Everybody's like, okay, got a, got a torch. You're going to need a clay pot, and you're going to need a horn, like a trumpet of something, like something like a trumpet. Like, That's your plan? (laughs) And he says, okay, what you're going to do, you're going to light the torches. You're going to put clay pots over them to sort of protect, kind of hide the flame a little bit. We're going to go down. you got the torch in one hand. you got your trumpet in the other. We're going to go down. You're going to circle around the camp of the the enemy. When I say go, you're going to yell out, right? You're going to blast your horns. You're going to yell out, you know, for God, for the Lord, and for Gideon. You're going to smash the clay pots. The torches are going to shine, and I'm going to take care of the rest. That's God's plan, and actually he does it, right? He, God works in an unbelievable kind of way. The, the it, 300 Isra- Israelite soldiers don't even lift, have to lift their swords for God to win the day. Smash the pots, the people wake up, there's torches surrounding them, they hear this loud sound, and they actually start fighting. The enemy starts fighting each other, and God wins the day. God gets the glory. God shows off. God rescues his people. He releases his power and moves and brings about one of the biggest comebacks of all time. It's an amazing story. I'm not sure where you're at with God today. But I bet God has some comebacks in your life in store for you. Maybe you've been a little bit like Gideon and a little bit like God's people in this story. And for whatever reason, you have wandered away from God. Maybe you're experiencing these days some of the the regret and some of the pain, some of the hardship. Maybe if you're honest, you're in a place in your life and you're experiencing that kind of poverty. Maybe there's weight on your shoulders. Maybe there's fear consuming you. And maybe the living God is speaking to you today through this story, through the story of Gideon and saying, you know what? It is time for you to return to the Lord. Why keep walking in this path? Why keep living in this weight, in this oppression? Why keep suffering? Would you instead, would you drop to your knees? Would you turn back to God and cry out, Jesus, I need you. Would you come and rescue me? Would you come and strengthen me? Would you come and make your presence known? I I can't do it on my own. Friends, the path to come back, the path to to a, a, a turnaround in our lives, the path that we are born for starts when we acknowledge and we see our need and we are quick to turn to him. Does that mean, again, that everything will work out hunky-dory and it'll be exactly like, of course not. But this is how we position ourselves and align ourselves with God. We, We are quick to come back to him, quick to cry out, I need you, quick to find all that we need and crave and long for in him. Friends, if you have never done that before, if you have never opened your heart and cried out, I need you, Jesus, would you come in? Or maybe you've done it, but for whatever reason, you are finding yourselves weighted down this morning or feeling very far from home. I think the living God is calling you back and saying, man, today is the day. Would you drop to your knees? Would you open your hearts and just cry out again, I need you, Jesus. Just in prayer and in your own soul, cry out to him, it's where all comebacks of value begin. You'll be glad you did. There's a comeback waiting for you. And it's available to us because, the, because of the greatest comeback in history, right? Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Because of his comeback, we too can have a comeback. Because he paid the price for our own sin, for our own rebellion, for the ways that we have run from him and hid him and shut him out of our lives. He took those things upon him, he died for him on the cross. But not even death could hold him down. He busted forth from the tomb on the third day, came back to life showing that he has conquered sin, he has conquered death, now sits, according to the Bible, at the Father's right hand. And through faith in Christ, the Bible says, by putting our trust in him, by crying out in faith, I need you, Jesus, would you come and forgive me? Would you come and save me and rescue me? The Bible says he will come and do it. He will bring about the biggest comeback of your life in restoring you back to God for anyone that comes and puts their trust in him. If you haven't done it, I'd encourage you to do it today. Maybe you're here this morning and you're feeling alone. Maybe you're suffering because of somebody else's sin or junk. Maybe you've gotten a bad report from the doctor. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you've lost a spouse. And maybe you feel isolated or overwhelmed or whatever. And maybe today the living God is speaking to you through the story of Gideon. And he is saying, man, there is hope. If you would lift your eyes off of what's happening, off of the circumstances, and remember that the living God is with you. The psalmist says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Why? For you are with me. Friends, the living God wants to sustain you and fill you and walk with you, even give you peace, give you strength, even in the midst of crazy storms that don't make sense, hard seasons that are unbearable. He makes them bearable because he is with us. Maybe you're going through a rough season of your own making, if you're honest. You say, no, I've just been playing the stupid card too many times, and I've just gone my own way and gone my own way and gone my own way. And maybe, maybe this morning, God is speaking and saying, you know, it's time to repent, to turn away from those things. Say, God, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me for my rebellion? Would you forgive me for my sin? Would you cleanse me and make me new? I need you, Jesus. Maybe you've been trying to fight God's battle with your own power, and the truth is you're just tired. You're tired, and you need the Spirit's strength, the Spirit to come and give you life. If you're a Christ follower, then the Bible says the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Now it's just a matter of learning to live with Him and abide in Him, moment by moment, right? walking with Him and learning to recognize His promptings, His Spirit, His power in your life, and just even a continual prayer saying, God, I need you. Would you lead me, direct me, give me your wisdom, help me and teach me to, to walk with you today. I need you, Jesus. Maybe maybe it's time, friends, that God's just calling you to follow and to prepare to get ready so that you can experience the comeback that God has in store. Let me, let me close us in prayer and uh, we'll go from there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and for your goodness. Lord, I I just get the feeling that there are so many of us in this room, God, that in one way or another need to experience really and feel a comeback in our lives. Lord, whether we are um, experiencing our own pain and need from our own sin and our own junk, whether we are just feeling impoverished by uh, other people's sin on us or whatever, whether we have been close to you Recently, or we've been very far away, Father, we thank you that, that we are never too far. Never too far away from you that we can't turn home, that the living God isn't just waiting on the edge of his seat to come and, and rescue and save and heal and work in our lives. Lord, even right now, Lord, as, we, as we just sit here, we just want to open up our hearts, open up our lives to you, and we cry out this morning, Jesus, we need you. Lord, you know each heart. You know the circumstances going on here. But in in each one of us, Lord, just cries out, we need you. Would you come and rescue? Would you come and intervene? Would you draw our eyes to you, Jesus? Would you bring hope and life? Would you restore us to you? Would you forgive us of our sin? We're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for the life that he has purchased for us. And right now we just say, come Lord Jesus, come into my life, come into my heart and lead me and guide me. Save me and rescue me and bring about a comeback in my life and heart. I need you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.